You're listening to a podcast in New Covenant Church. Join us online Sundays at 10.30 a.m. But we're here today to study God's Word and to grow in faith and in the knowledge of the Lord. And today we'll be reading our scripture out of the Old Testament, out of Ezekiel, starting in chapter 37, verse 1. Now, Ezekiel is after Psalms and Proverbs, and then you go into Isaiah, the major prophets, and Jeremiah, and then there's the Lamentations, and then comes Ezekiel, and then the minor prophets. So if you are in the Psalms, you got to go further down than the Bible, and if you hit the New Testament, you've gone too far. So starting in Ezekiel chapter 37, and in verse 1, we read, Now the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered him, O Lord God, you know. And again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life, and I will put sinews on you, and make flesh grow back on you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, and but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of new beginnings. You are the God of the resurrection, and you came that we might have life and that more abundantly, that we wouldn't be left alone as orphans, outcasts, and destitute, but that you have called us each one by name, and you know our circumstances, you know the struggles that we face and the pain. And so, God, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see what the Spirit is showing us in your word, that you would give us eyes, ears to hear, and a heart to receive from your word. For it is by faith that we walk. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time together in your word. Now, we start in the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. You won't hear many sermons delivered out of the Old Testament because sometimes there's a lot of hard things in the Old Testament. But without the Old Testament, you could not have a New Testament. The Old Testament lays the foundation for the Messiah, why it is that Christ had to come, why it is that he had to live the life that he lived, why it is that he died on a cross, why it is that he rose again to destroy the power of sin and death. The foundations of all that is taught and revealed through Jesus Christ in the New Testament is rooted and founded in the Old Testament. All the major stories of the Old Testament point forward to the need for Christ, for the need for a Messiah to come, a Savior 
to come and rescue his people. Now, Ezekiel is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And as such, when we read the life of Ezekiel, when we read about his prophecies, we should see and hear the echoes of Christ Jesus in these prophecies. In fact, when you read the Old Testament in general, you should read it in context with what it reveals about Christ and what it points to in Christ. And Ezekiel was a prophet, as we see here, but he was also a priest. He was a priest in the context of this prophecy so that you understand where this is coming from. The children of Israel had been exiled. Babylon had come and swept in and taken Judah and removed the temple from Jerusalem. It had been utterly destroyed and taken all the people, the remnant of Israel and the entire tribe of Judah, including Ezekiel, into captivity, into exile, into Babylon. But before the exile, Ezekiel was a priest. He was a priest, a Zedekite priest, of the, and he ministered in the temple in Jerusalem, and he, as priest, moderated and mediated between the relationship between God and his people, his covenant people, Israel, in the offering of sacrifices and making provisions for the sins of the people. But then in exile, where Ezekiel was taken with the rest of the people, God saw the despair, the brokenness, the hopelessness, the pain of the exile. And so God issued to Ezekiel a call as a prophet. And in this call as a prophet, a certain part of that is this vision that God gave Ezekiel. And it is a vision of resurrection. And we see both in this vision as we will study, but also in the life and the context of the scripture and how it was given, echoes that point forward to the Christ that comes as Messiah. For Jesus came as a mediator of a better covenant, a mediator through his own body and blood, sacrifice on the cross, not the blood of bulls and goats. And he now ministers not in an earthly temple in Jerusalem or anywhere else on this earth, but he ministers in, before the very throne of God in the heavenly temple, the true temple, where you and I will be someday. And as a prophet, Ezekiel comforted his people. He, he instructed his people concerning the sin. In fact, the reason why they, Israel was in exile was because they had rebelled. Over generations, literally hundreds of years, Israel had rebelled. And they had martyred some of the prophets, but God was faithful. And he still spoke comfort to his people through the prophecy, and so did he with Jesus. For Jesus is the perfect prophet, the perfect word of God that came and spoke to his people, the people of God, of a better covenant, of a new covenant, and this is the promise that Jesus spoke when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. For Christ did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might have life through him. For God is not angry. God is not upset. God is love. His character is love. He is always love. And everything that he does and everything that he speaks and all of his motivation, God is love. But not only are there parables between, parallels between the life of Christ and Ezekiel, but there's also parallels between the life and times of Ezekiel in exile and what we are experiencing here today. You know, the people of Israel were taken into exile. They were taken to a foreign land. They are, everything was out of sorts. Everything was peculiar. Languages were strange. Laws were foreign. In fact, they weren't even covered by the law. 
And what do we experience here today? Everything is out of sorts. With this pandemic that's going on, what do we see? We see and we, we feel disconnected. You're, you're having to stand in line just to get in the store and even that is six feet apart. We're all at home with one another. Everything is out of sorts, there's no routine. And there's also a fear of death if we are honest about it. There's a fear, a palpable fear if you sense it, that just with a friendly handshake, we might lose our life or expose ourselves to a very serious disease. Well, there's echoes of that in exile too because as foreigners, as dispossessed diaspora that was in Babylon, they had no rights. Israel, their lives could have been destroyed in a moment. There was no certainty about anything. And so in that context, Ezekiel was sent with a promise of God's word. He was sent to encourage his people. And that is the word of the Lord, I believe, that God wants to speak to us today. That Jesus Christ is Lord of this coronavirus. That he is Lord of this pandemic. That it didn't take him as surprise. He didn't fall off his throne and wake up one day and the devil had snuck something up on him. And that Jesus Christ will take what the enemy has meant for evil in this context that we see in the things and he will turn it to his good and his glory. And he will grow the faith of his people and cause us to be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. As we lean not unto our own understanding, but unto him who has called us, who is faithful and just to complete the work that he has begun into each one of us. So we see from our text today that God is the God of the resurrection. He is a God of another chance. Not just a second chance or a third chance or a fifth chance or 70 times 70 chances. God is a God of another chance. And he demonstrates this in that while we were helpless, God will still accomplish his purposes in our lives concerning us. That when we lack understanding, God gives us his word as the foundation for our faith so that we might be properly rooted in him. And then when we lack the power to overcome and we are helpless as dry bones scattered out on the valley, what we see is that God gives us his Holy Spirit. For God is the healer of all our despair. He is the answer to all of our questions. He sees our pain and he's touched with the feelings of our afflictions. And just like he came to Israel and he spoke the vision of the resurrection, so too does he speak to our hearts today. So we see that when we are helpless, God still accomplishes his purposes in us. In the first two verses of Ezekiel 37, verses 1 and 2. Picking it up in verse 1 again, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were very many of them on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. Who initiated the action here? Who started the conversation? Who saw the need? God did. He saw the need that we have, that Israel had. And so he called the prophet and he set the prophet in the midst of the dry bones, in the midst of this valley for a purpose. In other words, God started the action. And this is exactly what happened when Christ Jesus came. Jesus came into our midst 
And he breathed our air. He ate our food. He experienced what it was to be sweaty and be hungry and to be tired. He experienced what it was to be betrayed and to be rejected. He experienced death. Everything in this life, in this fallen world that could throw at him, Christ experienced it. And he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. This is why God, when he sees a need, he calls his people, his prophet, his Christ to come and to stand in the midst of the desolation so that the miracle can take place. And then he comes with a promise as Christ has spoken to us that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. This is not the vision of a God who sees dry bones and then just walks away. This is a vision of a God who is still a covenant-keeping God, even though his people have broken the covenant, violated and killed his prophets, shamed themselves. Yet God is the covenant-keeping God. And yes, it is true that the wages of sin is death, but, and I love the buts in the gospel, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when God sent the Lord Jesus into our world, into our midst as Savior, he sent him as many things, but he also sent him as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, as the Gospels tell us, and that a greater love has no man than this, that a man lays his life down for his friends. And you and I are the people and everyone in the world for whom the Lord died, if we would but allow him to be our friend. So what is the ministry of a shepherd? We see it in the Psalms 23. We see it when we hear the, the scripture as we've all memorized. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the quiet waters. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. These are all mountaintop experiences. You can almost Feel the gentleness of the stream that flows and the freshness of the grass that we lie down in and the path of righteousness that he blesses us with, that we walk in harmony with God, in relationship with him. These are the mountaintop experiences. But is that the end of it? No. For yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. And this is the message that Ezekiel was communicating to his people, that the God of the mountaintops, the God of the green pastures, the God of the fresh and refreshing waters is the God of the valley. Because the good shepherd, not only through his rod and his, through the staff, direct his sheep, but by the rod, he also fends off the enemy, the enemy that has come to kill and to steal and to destroy so we see in the first two verses how God starts an action. He sends his prophet into the midst of the dry bones, and he begins the ministry of new beginnings. We also see now the second point, that not only is God in the subsequent verses the God of new beginnings who accomplishes his purposes in our lives even when we are helpless, but we also, when we lack understanding, when we don't know what to do, when everything is a confused, and, we, and many times life is like this, right? You don't know really what to do. There's all kinds of questions. There's certainly a lot more questions than answers. But what did God do in the prophet? We start in verse 3, and I'm going to skip around a little bit between verses 3 through verses 8. And God said, 
to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered and said, O Lord God, you know. Mark that answer. And again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, thus saith the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to come that you may come to life. And so I prophesied, skipping down a little bit in the verses, so I prophesied as I was commanded. Ezekiel didn't speak according to his own emotional state of mind. He didn't speak according to what he thought was the right answer or according to the wisdom of men. He spoke by the sovereign word of God that is forever settled in heaven. Jesus said, heaven and earth would pass away before the first comma or stroke of the word of God would pass away. That God is the one who accomplishes his purposes through his word. And so he prophesied as he was commanded, and as he prophesied, a miracle took place. And he heard lots of rattling, and bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath. There was a body there. there he, we had made progress. At least you could recognize a, a, a human being there. They could be asleep, but the scripture is very clear. The word of God accomplished a miracle, but it wasn't a complete miracle. It wasn't complete because the people were not alive. And so we see here that God is accomplishing a work. It is a process, and it's rooted on his word. But I want to draw attention to the answer that the prophet gives. God answers, asks a question, can these bones live? And the guy said, well, in the natural, no, obviously. This is a very desolate place. But he was wise enough to know if God asked the question, if God is prompting something, that God also has the answer. And so he gave the answer that we too should give to every one of our questions. Oh, Lord, you know. God, you are my protector. Will I have enough finances? Oh, Lord, you know. Will I have the strength to face my tomorrows? Oh, Lord, you know. Will I fill in the blank? God knows. And because God knows our frame and we can trust his character, we can be assured that we will not be left as dry bones scattered about in the valley, but we too will be protected and strengthened and encouraged. God gives his word of promise to the prophet. And the prophet prophesied those words. And this is what God has done as well for us. Why is it so important that we stand on God's word? Why is it so important that the Lord God didn't just say to Ezekiel, well, you know, you know what to do. Just speak whatever you think needs to happen and I'll honor it. God gave Ezekiel the specific command. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And those, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The word of God is our foundation. It is our hope. And then once he was filled with the word of God, the Lord commanded the prophet to prophesy. And there are implications in that for us as well, that we are to know the word of God. We are to speak his word by faith, and we are to see the power of God, once having stood on the firm foundation, which is Christ and him crucified, and the promises that are rooted in his word, that we stand and see the salvation of our Lord made manifest in the midst of our lives.
But there's one other thing that I want to emphasize here too before I move on to the next point. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Obviously, this encompasses the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he did, how he ministered, what he spoke, how he moved, everything was a testimony and a prophecy of the will of God. But each one of us also have a testimony. Each one of us have a personal testimony of how God in the past has caused the storms in our life to be quieted. Each one of us have had the opportunity to experience the goodness of our God the wonder of who he is, the confidence that he gives to us, the word of knowledge to be able to speak in the things that perhaps we are surprised at what comes out of our mouths ourselves. And so I want to say that that too is the spirit of prophecy, that testimony that God has given to you, that you are a living testimony of the faithfulness of God and that God will never leave you or forsake you. And that we, again, and you all know this, but we stand well to be reminded that we are not to doubt in the valley. We are not to doubt in the darkness what God has given to us and revealed to us at the mountaintop and the broadness of daylight. Now, I'm going to be, I guess, a little bold here, and I'm going to suggest that maybe this coronavirus isn't completely all bad because it, it, God takes what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. The Lord Jesus Christ is Lord, even of the kingdom of darkness, and he knows the plans of darkness. He knew this coronavirus was coming. It's true that he gave him permission. He didn't cause the virus. He didn't cause this sickness and disease, but we live in a fallen world, and God did permit it. And I would suggest to you one of the good things that can come out of this that we should consider is that it resets our priorities. Every one of us have thought about what's really important in life. I mean, is it really important that I go into that bar and have a couple of beers and leave my family alone at home? Is it really important that I spend so many hours at work that I don't even know I'm, I'm, I'm gone before my kids wake up and I come home after they've gone to bed? Are there things that are a higher priority in our lives than the things that we chased after when everything was normal? And I would suggest to you, if you're like me, that Staying at home for hours on end with people that I love and care for, but man, now I tell you, sometimes they can rub, right? I mean, I'm just being honest. That this is something that's a gift from God. That we can get to love each other again. Why did you get married? Why did you have kids? You know, begin to recognize your child's face again. These are gifts of God that it resets our priorities so we understand what is really important. And I think if we learn anything out of that and the blessings that God has given to us, then we will have done well. So we see that God is the God of new beginnings because in his purposes are accomplished in spite of our helplessness and that when we lack understanding, that he gives us his word, that our faith may be rooted not in our emotions, not in our feelings, not in the pizza we ate last night, but rooted in his sovereign word that is forever settled in heaven. But ultimately, when we lack the power to overcome, when we are those bodies without life, we are recognizable as bodies, but we don't have the life. We don't have the power to get up. When we lack the power to overcome, God gives us his spirit for it is not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord through Zechariah, that it's the anointing 
of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord that breaks the yoke, that frees us, that sets us in free into the liberty that is Christ Jesus. Just as he said, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's not just an act, that's a promise. If we read in verse 9 and 10, he said, then he said to me, now remember he's speaking about these bodies that are dead, but they're bodies nevertheless in this valley. He said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to this breath, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they come to life. So I prophesied again, I prophesied as I was commanded, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is a time of recreation, of new beginnings. The breath of life that God, the word in the Hebrew that speaks to the breath that was prophesied into these dead bodies in the valley is the same word that was used in the creation story in Adam and Eve. When God breathed into the nostril of Adam and Eve to bring them life, there are echoes of the creation story here of being recreated, of dry, dead bones being pulled together and recreated and fashioned into new life, into new bodies, into a mighty army. And this is exactly what happens when we as Christians confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we become new creatures in Christ Jesus, as 2 Corinthians <laughs> claims. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Now, being new doesn't mean that we just get to go off and do the old things we used to do. Being new means that we actually do what God has directed and put in our heart. The life I live, I live in Christ. It's not my life, it is Christ's life. And so when Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things in context was like, what will I eat, what will I wear, where's my money coming from, where is my sleep, all that stuff of life that we get so distracted with. I mean, they're important. I'm not trying to say they're not important, but there's something of greater importance here. And that is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the prayers go before the throne of God, his answers are to give himself. When we ask for this job, he gives us peace which passes comprehension that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. By the spirit of the Lord, we are sealed in that peace. When we ask for healing, we learn what the apostle spoke of when he said to live as Christ and to die as gain, that really our times in the, is in the Lord's hands. It's always been that way. And we should not be afraid of that, but we should be confident in the love of our God that preserves us and keeps us and directs us from harm. And when we pray for strength, we can say with Paul that his strength is perfected in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more in my weakness that the power of God may be realized and revealed to a greater extent even than could otherwise. But remember, the glory is not to us, but it's to him. We are, as it were, empty vessels, earthen vessels, whom God fills with his spirit, that the world might see that there is a God who rules and reigns in the affairs of men, that there is hope, that there is life, that death does not have the final say. Now, I want to get, again, very straightforward here and practical, especially in context with this time that we're in with this pandemic. I think one of the things that the Spirit of the Lord is challenging us today is that we face our fears, that we face our fears and anxieties of, of, 
will I get sick or will this person who maybe is completely innocent, they're just asymptomatic carriers of this coronavirus and they don't mean any harm by it, but they, they give me my disease and somehow now I'm stuck with this. Or if I send my kid to, to play with somebody else's child, that somehow they're gonna come back diseased. And so we live like cloistered nuns in our own homes in fear. And God is saying, stop being afraid. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now, we're not to be foolish. We're to conduct ourselves as wise as serpents, as harmless as a dove. But every one of us needs to take the time, I think, to face our fears. And as Steve Brown once said, and he said it very bluntly, and I'm going to make it a little bit more gentle. He said that we need to stop running. We need to face our fears and kiss those demons that we run from on the lips. And when we do, they will lose their power. But before you go and kiss those demons on the lips, you make sure that you ask Jesus to go with you. And Jesus will go with you. Now, I want to say, theologically, it is impossible for a Christian to be possessed by a demon. But every one of us has those areas in our life that we need to surrender to a greater extent to the Lord God whom we serve. The fear of failure, the financial ruin, the fear of death, the fear of a broken family, the fear of uncertainty, all of this is bubbling up to the surface that you can sense. I mean, you used to be able to walk down the street and see a person smiling at you. Now it looks like a face mask is over them and they're gonna rob you. I mean, who, who, who would say this time in this season? No one would wish this. But again, let us face what is in front of us, not in fearful dread, but in the empower and the anointing of the Spirit of God. For our God is a God of new beginnings. He is the God of the resurrection. He accomplishes what is impossible to us in our lives. And he demonstrates this in that while we are alone, God shows us that he will never leave us or forsake us. That while we're lacking understanding and our faith is wavering, he gives us his word and his promise that our faith may be steadfast and sure. And when we lack power to overcome, we see that God gives us a spirit for the work that he has begun in you. He shall complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. And this is a promise from the gospel that these momentary light afflictions that we now see and experience are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we stand before that the throne of glory and we rejoice in him, free from shame, free from fear, free from the shackles of this fallen world. On that day, these trials and these struggles won't even be worthy to be compared. Jesus loves you, and in the end, it will be worth it all. So I would like to speak a blessing to you, a benediction. So as we quiet our hearts and we understand that Jesus is in our midst, so may the God eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God give you peace and rest and confirm the work of your hands and may his joy be made fill your heart with overflowing. May the oil of gladness be poured out upon you and may times of refreshing come from the Lord, that you might be strengthened. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.